Welcome and thank you for listening to Second Chance Cinema with MC and Spro, a podcast that takes a second look at films from the past that went under the radar for whatever silly reason. Before we begin our show, just a warning, our hosts do not censor their speech and have the habit of spoiling the movie's ending. So, if you wish to watch along with us, perhaps pause this episode and tune in later. As always, we appreciate all of our listeners and look forward to debating the greatness of this uncovered gem. Enjoy the show. The computers are loaded with VICAP, but they're fully firewalls. So don't do any research off-site. If you want to do any blood samples on the AutoRAD, analyze fibers, scout samples, it's all here. You rest up here till the morning. Downstairs is a fully stocked freezer, bunks, and your showers. Don't forget you're 50 miles offshore, so if you run out of toilet paper, you are shit out of luck. So what's the point? Sorry, detective? The island, the middle of nowhere, they're all professionals. What's the point? The point is that they're isolated, alone, and forgotten. That's what it's like to be inside the mind of the sociopath. Have you noticed it's a really bad feeling here? What would you do if you were thrown on an island off the coast of Pennsylvania with a bunch of good-looking people who all died one by one, and all of those people were among the smartest FBI profilers the world had ever seen? And then there was also Val Kilmer. That is the question that that our movie today, Mindhunters, seeks to answer. And as always, I'm MC, here with my handsome, 100% diligent homeowner, Spro. Spro, how are you? <laughs> I, I'm good. I I was able to hang out between my foundation and the earth Did today because I'm replacing some basement walls. That's why I said diligent, only because um, that's that's like adulting. That's like straight up adulting. The the it foundation is. and walls and stuff like that. Like that's not something you think about when you buy a house, but that's adulting. So congratulations on that. Thanks. Yeah, I stocked the I stocked the fridge with soda and then went down to all the the workers and was like, "There's soda in the fridge, guys. There's ginger ale and Sprite and, nice. and have a good day." So, well, the guy so had a good line because I was like, I was like, I'm going to work now. And he was like, all right, man, be like a baby and head out. Oh, that's good. I like that. That's definitely a thinker. So despite the fact that, you know, replacing a, a basement wall might not be the most pleasant thing in the world, it's probably more pleasant than, as I introduced the movie, being thrown on an island where one by one, all of your friends and colleagues are murdered um, until there's no one left, which again is is the basic plot of this movie, Mindhunters, which I suggested for this show because this is a movie that fits in the category of movies I have called my depression movies, which are named so because I saw it probably for the first time like eight, nine years ago when I was just in the worst depression of my life. And it was one of those movies that was always on and I could always just turn it on and kind of zone out. The only other one I can think of that we've done so far is Lakeview Terrace. So it's 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 one of those movies that's like on, harmless, but also entertaining. And as I watched it again, probably for the first time in like at least six or seven years, I watched it just a couple hours ago. I, I was entertained, even though I knew what was going on and I 
knew what was going to happen, I was still entertained. Yeah, very much. I knew I had actually never even heard of this movie before you suggested it, which is kind of weird because I think we're LL Cool J was kind of on all of our radars Mm -hmm. back in the day when he was getting into film. I remember going to see Deep Blue Sea just because LL Cool J was in it. That and the sharks were pretty badass. And the you know him in the soundtrack. I also liked his. He had a uh, song on the soundtrack. Oh yeah, my head is like a shark skin. Yeah. So, yeah, I did hear that. The other guy that I really like in this film is uh, Christian Slater. And right. I always, growing up watching him and then him kind of falling off the radar, even after Broken Arrow in the time when like it seemed like everybody was getting their feet back under them, like John Cusack and Nicolas Cage. I thought Christian Slater was would have a comeuppance and he never seemed to. And I was always like, if I can somehow break into the industry, I was like, I, I want to be one of the people that revived Christian Slater's career. And then he went on Mr. Robot and... And did it for himself so i didn't realize when you so you said christian slater then you said broken arrow and i had to think broken arrow was like what 95 96 yes and this movie was like 2005 i think 2004 i didn't realize that this was such a late film in the filmography of christian slater and he looks oh, yeah. exactly the same well we'll get there's a lot to unpack in this movie that there's like a 30 second slow-mo pan up on just his naked body I didn't remember that when I first started watching this movie again, but I definitely remember it now. Um, but I was like, I wonder who that young buck is. And then it turned out to be Christian Slater. I was like, he's got to be like 45. Like, good for him, man. And it's funny that you mentioned LL Cool J and Deep Blue Sea, because as I was like prepping to watch this movie, I was trying to, before I actually hit play, I was trying to kind of like remember what was going on and just kind of like set, you know, set the stage for myself. Like, okay, I remember this happens, this happens. And I, the whole time I was like, oh man, I can't wait to see LL Cool J and his parrot. I forget how he gets out of all the traps, but I can't wait to see the parrot. And then he came on the screen as like, I forget what he was, like a CIA investigator or something like that. And I was like, Mm. oh, wait a minute. That was Deep Blue Sea. No parrot in this movie. (laughs) But I definitely, for for most of today, I convinced myself that this was the LL Cool J parrot movie, and it wasn't. (laughs) So let's dive right into our longest lasting tradition here on Second Chance Cinema which we've upgraded for the last couple episodes. This is the Wheel of Poetry. So we've got on the Wheel of Poetry, for those of you listening at home, it looks like a Wheel of Fortune wheel, and it's got one, two, three, four, five different categories of poetry slash written communication tribute that we're going to spin and we're going to land on one. And then both Spro and myself are going to have to write whatever we land on in relation to this movie, Mindhunters. You ready? Absolutely. All right, here uh, we go. Let me run down the, um, the categories first. There's limerick, song parody, classic ABAB rhyme, haiku, and then toast slash roast. All right. Nice. So here we go. We're going to spin one, two, three. We've got Limerick. So Limerick, think of it. There once was a man from Nantucket. And then I forget how the rest of that one goes, but that's basically how everything works. <laughs> so what we're going to do is we're going to play the trailer and we're going to go ahead and we're going to write our Limericks about Mindhunters. 
Good evening, my fine young FBI friends. I am a pretty little thing, just out of lit class. My parents are loaded, as per my expensive ensemble. Rafe, you're up. Black suit, blonde hair, on the prowl for pretty young things. Preferably a cheerleader with great big... <laughs> oh, you've got to be kidding me. They are the FBI's newest profilers. You're all smarter, you wouldn't be here. I just want you to be smarter. Training to get into the minds of the most elusive serial killers. This is Detective Jensen. He's gonna be working with you. Who wants to play some hide and seek? What do we know about him? We know he's just out of a bad relationship. He's barely looked twice at me and Sarah. Maybe you're not my type. Trust me, I'm your type. The simulation will be a test of your teamwork. What it's like to be inside the mind of the sociopath. He's called a puppeteer. And he has an obsession with time. Time to look alive. It's just a simulation. It's no fun unless it's a challenge. No! This is a joke, right? Someone killed JD. Don't you get it? simulation is this? Somebody set that trap at 12 o'clock. Someone else is killed. He's marked us. Where is this killer? Someone who knows where we'd be. Now, someone trained to think like a killer. There's just one problem. Is about to become one. There's no one here. But us. Are you having fun? I'm having fun. <laughs> Just two traps. What time are they set for? They're set for now. So that was the trailer for Mindhunters. We're back and we've got Limericks ready to go. Spro, you want right. to go first? I'll go first. I Fair warning, I have a spoiler in mind. And I feel like with a movie like this, which is loosely based off of the Agatha Christie novel, And Then There Were None, which is also kind of reminiscent of Ten Little Indians. Uh, no, I was just going to say Ten Little Indians is the one that I kept coming across when I was reading about the movie. You put a bunch of people on an island or in a, in a separate place, and then they start dying one by one and accusing everybody one by one. It's one of those stories. So if you're listening to this to see if you want to watch the film, we're going to spoil it for you. And so I think with this film, you should definitely go watch it because, you know, I think everybody loves one of these films of twists and turns and who knows what kind of like John Carpenter's The Thing. I'm going to spoil a character's death in it. And so that's why I just wanted to put that out there first. Christian Slater is their leader. The shy woman, they might need her. Turn off the clock. Watch the dominoes stop. Slater is the first non-bleeder. Nice. Very nice. Thanks. Very good. Thanks. I know we started with haikus and we're loyal to haikus and haikus will always mm-hmm. be like, you know, number one in our hearts. But I got to say limericks are fun. My limerick is even more of a spoiler alert. <laughs> so um, I'll just go ahead and say I, I came up with an alternate ending for my limerick. So I'll, I'll just read the super spoiler alert first. Then I'll read it with the alternate ending. So super spoiler alert. I'm basically going to tell you who the killer is. (laughs) All right. There once was a serial killer in this suspenseful mystery thriller. They all played his game and proved him insane. He was played by Johnny Lee Miller. (laughs) 
so okay yes. so yeah so while we were watching the trailer i told you i've got one but it's not very good that was that <laughs> i came up with a better alternate ending though let's try this one there once was a serial killer in this suspenseful mystery thriller they all played his game and proved him insane let's cheer for the hair on val kilmer <laughs> Nice. Better? Do you you wrote two limericks in the span of a trailer? I wrote the first four lines, and then I wrote two alternate last lines. Oh, I like yeah. it. So because I couldn't, um, you know, I couldn't decide. I was struggling, and um, I'll be honest, this is not this would not be on my Hall of Fame of limericks, but. That's okay. We're not here for the limericks. We're not here for the poetry. We're here for the movies. The poetry is just mm-hmm. the frosting on the cake. So let's set this up. There are, I don't even know how many there were. There were like eight FBI profilers, all mm-hmm. handsome and beautiful. And Val Kilmer is their sort of unhinged, mysterious boss to the point where he says a lot of things like, you know, the mission's not over until you're on the car ride home. There was one other one that he said, the guys who've been here a long time don't approve of my methods. And he's like this strange, rogue, um, just really like unhinged boss. I don't know what his title was. And he's got the this class of young recruits who are all trying to make FBI profiler. The movie opens with what's basically a training exercise, which I didn't remember that at all from my depression phase, which I uh, attribute to probably never having seen it because I feel like I always would turn this movie on like 10 minutes in. And what you get from the beginning is basically it sets up Christian Slater as the leader of the team uh, working under Val Kilmer. He's like the, the, the head profiler. And then he's got this girl, Sarah, with him who her story is that she's kind of like fish out of water and not really stone cold and cerebral like you would think an FBI profiler would be. She's very like hesitant But she's also very smart and very analytical, but something doesn't quite seem right about her. She just doesn't sort of like fit that character mold. And then from there, where did we go? They're going to go to a training exercise on the island um, and they meet LL Cool J, who's going to be kind of a surveilling them. And uh, Val Kilmer's there, sets up the fact that they will find a body tomorrow. And it's there's a guy named the puppeteer throw that mysterious name out. And uh, so everybody's going to spend the night on the island and then they'll have a case to profile tomorrow because really what what happens is that christian slater and sarah completely muffle the the training exercise and like val kilmer's like the last people did it in four minutes and and apprehended the subject with ease and you guys were in for two minutes and everybody killed each other (laughs) so the the training exercise to me was interesting because like the way that they came upon the room with the bodies, which were clearly mannequins, but they both played it off like they were real bodies. And I wonder if that's like, I don't want to say I wonder how realistic that is, but like, I don't imagine they use actual dead people for murder simulations. But like, how realistic can you be if you see a mannequin in the bathtub and you're like, oh, it's so gruesome. Like, <laughs> because I saw the mannequin in the bathtub and I was like, oh, clearly that's a mannequin. But then she went up to it like it wasn't a mannequin. And I was like, are they really going to play this? Like, that's like, is that really a dead body or is that really supposed to be a dead body? And that was the first part of the movie where I was like, hmm, OK, this is entertaining right now, but for sort of the wrong reason. But it gets better. Well, not, right. And I wonder, too, because so I started playing a PS3 game because that's how far behind I am on my video gaming called L.A. Noir, And it's very like you're a detective and you're 
you're interviewing subjects and you're investigating crime scenes and you have to like, you crouch down over dead bodies and you like move their head back and forth and feel the bones cracking in the neck and like move the wrist up and down to check for ligature marks on the ring finger to see if they were married and a ring was stolen. So I wonder with that, and that's just a video game. Like I wonder if there's FBI training where they would say like, make sure you check the mannequin bodies to see like it, were they strangled? You know, like what kind of weapon the person in this building has, is it a stab wound? Do they, are they armed with a knife? Is it a gunshot? So I, that's kind of hindsight being 2020 when everybody woke up into the lights, I was like, Oh, I wonder if that's why they should have checked out the mannequins closer instead so, of, you know, so because Christian Slater was just kind of barreling forward. It sounds like this ordeal, whether it be a video game or in Mind Hunters, is much harder than Carmen San Diego uh, would have been <laughs> back in the day, in terms of video games at least. And I feel like this is a uh, sort of a different kind of a whodunit than your basic Encyclopedia Brown junior adult novel. So it gets pretty intense pretty quick. It's they go to this island. Harris, you're one sick son of a bitch. Stay on my six. And this was my favorite part of the movie. Yeah, Christian Slater is high billing on the, the cast yeah. list. He's obviously one of the more bankable stars in the movie, even though he hadn't been around for a while. He's the first one to die. We got a uh, single victim, Caucasian female, 25, 26. The puppeteer, that's a hell of a signature. Why don't you uh, check the employee logs, receipts, see who... Uh, who shopped here, who worked here, that sort of thing. Let me run forensic, work the timeline. Sarah, why don't you check the carcass? Sarah. Sure. Oh. Well, there's splatter behind the counter. The girl was definitely moved. Any venture as to weapon? Nick, you want to take point on M.O.? Absolutely. Nick, not to step on your toes, but I'm going to bet the guy's a trophy taker. And the way he dies is pretty epic. You want to explain that since it, your, your limerick was about it? They realize why the puppeteer is called the puppeteer because the, the first body is going to be a mannequin hanging from a bunch of hooks. What are you smiling about? The taxpayers only knew. I think I'll go see if the unsub's still in the building. Sweetheart, it's just a simulation, yeah? Where we're from, a site search is called procedure, yeah? Should have been allowed to bring our guns. Doesn't feel real without my gun. Hell, Vince, how real do you want it? Come on, come on. Sure. On cross up top that where all the strings dangle from. So that's what this mannequin body is dangling from. And it looks pretty realistic. Like I almost had a flashback to House of Wax. Remember that Paris Hilton? I sure do. Horror film. Don't forget to bring that up um, at the end when we go over reviews because there's something very eerie about the fact that you brought that up. But go okay. on. Well, I was wondering, I was like, is that a real body inside the mannequin? Like, is that what we're going to find out? Uh. And, no, spoiler, no. So suddenly a stereo starts playing. And actually, when I'm watching this, I'm watching it on Amazon Prime. 
and I have not figured out how to keep subtitles off. So the subtitles were on and I was like, ooh, this is going to help because they're reading. I can read what the song lyrics are like. I'm fully invested in the mystery at this point. Song lyrics don't matter much, but Christian Slater goes over. He turns off the, the cassette player. The speaker pops out, which starts a, a yeah, Rude Goldberg machine and he, the dominoes start falling. A marble hits right next to one of those creepy Hottie Duty puppets and it goes all the way down to knock a canister, which I thought was like helium, but was actually nitric oxide? Liquid nitrogen. Liquid nitrogen, um, which starts spraying on Christian Slater's legs and then freezing them to the point that they he shatters at the knees and then his full body is within the spray and he just he explodes into tiny little Christian Slater pieces. He does and he lets out a it's just a whimsical little cough of like saliva that freezes midair. Very, very, mm-hmm. very, very poignant. I think you brought up a good point. Like they took their one of their biggest names in the cast list and killed him first. And I think that was they were conscious of what they were doing, as in like anybody can die in this film. Right. And that's exactly what I was thinking was like it it raised the stakes immediately. Like, holy shit, Christian Slater's dead. It reminded me it was done much better here than I don't know if you remember Executive Decision, which was billed as a Steven Seagal movie. (laughs) And then he got sucked out of the plane like 10 minutes in and died. This was much more of a payoff, I think. That was more just like, even if you went to see Executive Decision, nobody kind of gives a shit about Steven Seagal. <laughs> but still, you're right. like, oh, he's dead already? But this was more, like you said, like he, him dying basically raised the stakes to the point of, wow, this could be this could be anybody. Who knows? I mean, is LL Cool J going to be next? He's arguably the next biggest star on the bill, considering that Val Kilmer's left the island. Although I don't know that... In 2004, Val Kilmer was <laughs> that big of a draw. He was past Real Genius and Top Gun, I think, at that point. Then, well, we- you made mention of his uh, of his hair. I and sure did. He, the only way that he was able to do this movie, which he wanted to do, was he was going to do a movie called Wonderland based off of the Wonderland murders, the porn star John Holmes, right after it. So he had to grow his hair for that film, but he wanted to sneak this film in. And so that's why he's got 1970s porn star hair in this film. Now explain to me, as someone who's been closer to film sets in Hollywood than I'll ever be, why not just a wig? It's kind of the same thing of like, why not put a false mustache on Superman instead of CGIing out his real mustache right the thing about this movie was that even in there's a scene in the beginning where they're at a bar and they're all playing this game where they try to like read people in the bar based on the subtle clues like they're all profilers so they notice things they notice like how a woman's like holding her drink or how a guy is you know eyeballing the room or something like that and i thought that that was i'm sure that's been done before but i thought it was an interesting like introduction to the skill set that these people have that might not be too familiar for most people like because when i think of when i thought of fbi profiler and when i thought of like when they showed quantico and all that kind of stuff the first thing i thought of was silence of the lambs and 
there was nothing like, I mean, there were very little that was, I don't want to say humanizing, but, you know, Clarice Starling as an FBI profiler is much different than these guys who go out to bars and are like almost more accessible characters through the way that they interact with each other and then interact with, you know, regular people. Right. And this has to be, and spot on, I was the exact same with Clarice Starlin. And there's a show now, Mindhunters. Well, you said like, I don't, I don't know if it was done before it, this is 2004, you know, this is before probably all like the, we have a cop show on almost every single channel dealing with the same subject matter. So this is kind of maybe before it's time. And now, you know, there's a show called Mind Hunter, which is a David Fincher TV show on Netflix dealing with the beginning of profiling. That is my boy. Um, And it's a good show, but it's all, it's, it's like kind of like in the era of Manson and, uh, and it's all about the beginning of profiling and trying to say like, we can, we can read serial killers. Mm -hmm. We can read people and kind of gauge what their crimes would be. And the fact that this, this film kind of does it effortlessly of weaving these characters strengths together, but also the killer goes after them because of their weaknesses. Right. That's such a interesting, interesting um, way to reimagine Agatha Christie's. And then there were none. Well, I think so. So I wrote down, I actually don't have a lot of notes on this movie because I was kind of just watching it. And I'll be honest, I don't remember all of the characters. I felt like there, and I get this, there were, there were too many throwaway characters. Like there was, I think there was the Irish guy who barely said like a word and a half. There were like three sort of interchangeable, handsome young guys and stuff like that. But very early in the movie, I think actually right at the culmination of the bar scene, every one of them, with the exception of LL Cool J, because he's not introduced until shortly after, every one of them, their motive for potentially going crazy is set up. There's mm-hmm. Christian Slater, who very early on, it's it's clear that he's like pissed at Val Kilmer's methods and he doesn't he doesn't respect, you know, the the torture that Val Kilmer's putting them all through. There's the girl Sarah, who along with Vince, who the actor who plays played Vince. I love that guy. Clifton Collins Jr. He's in a lot of stuff as a great character actor. And he, his character was in a wheelchair because he'd been shot. And right during that bar scene, he reveals that he saw the fact, notarized letter or something on Val Kilmer's desk that both he and Sarah were not going to make Profiler. So right there, they've got some, some motivation. Oh, and then LL Cool J comes in and his is sort of another mysterious motive. He comes in as this just like outsider and he's kind of like, I feel like he's like the red herring. Like right away, if you're looking at this on a surface level, you're like, oh, he's the number one suspect. So, um, detective, what exactly did you do to earn this island paradise? Recommended for it, same as you. No, why though? I mean, did you catch some killer in Philly or something? What's the deal? You don't want to know my war stories. Well, actually I do. I mean, right now, what do we know about you for real? We know he's got resentments toward his parents, as per the overload on tattoos he's got there. We know he's just out of a bad relationship. He's barely looked twice at me and Sarah. Maybe you're not my type, Nicole. We're alone on an island. Trust me, I'm your type. We also know he watches his words. So that crossword's either a sign of honing a talent or correcting a deficiency. What you say about me doesn't tell you about me, it tells me about you. Now, I could say your little gambling means you have an addictive personality. 
I could say I know you're sleeping with one of the guys in this room. I could say you take charge of your team because you never had a leader in your own life. And you, when push comes to shove, you crack under pressure. Your partners can't depend on you. You don't belong here. But that's all surface. Psych 101 bullshit. That's not who you are. He's got it because he comes in, he's very mysterious. He doesn't say exactly what he's there for. He just kind of alludes to the fact that he's like supervising and stuff like that. But what was good about this was, and especially at that bar scene, and again, this is like the, that's like the second or third scene in the movie. All the characters, even though it's sort of in a congenial, friendly way, are played against each other. Like they're betting against each other. Like I bet you can't get her number in five seconds, or I bet I'll make Profiler before you. And there's this like very subtle animosity that's again, friendly, but also is kind of like, don't trust anyone at this table. Right. Yeah, absolutely. The other guy characters, Eon Bailey played Bobby. And I was looking him up and it looked like he was in Fight Club, but he didn't really give a character name in Fight Club. I'm pretty sure he's the guy that sprays the priest with water trying to pick a fight. (laughs) All right. If he didn't give a character name, then he obeyed the rules of Fight Club. So props for that. (laughs) Fight Club is my, I always kind of like slated as my second favorite film. And so I was like, I should be able to peg this guy. And so that's what I got from that. Rafe Perry is played by Will Kemp. I think he's the one that Christian Slater says, go turn off the water or the spigot and then gets drilled by a bunch of spears. These are the like the three plain, like the similar types. Right. And Johnny Lee Miller, star of Hackers. And if you listen to the first 10 minutes, you know, he's the killer. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we have to rename him the Limerick Killer now. (laughs) So they're on this island. And once Christian Slater gets off, it's very clear that it's that it's not a training exercise anymore. So then if there's one thing that I kind of disliked about the movie or could have done without, it was the fact that all the characters' weaknesses, air quotes, were just so heavy handed and obvious. Maybe not all of them, but like the majority, mm-hmm. like the girl who who couldn't go without a cigarette, Mr. Fix-It guy who was always looking to show off. Oh, it was uh, Vince without always without his gun or never without his gun. And it was just so like and maybe I'm maybe maybe this was just me, but it felt like super heavy handed most of the time. But that said, the payoffs for each of them were all pretty sweet. Right. And this might be because as I was researching, the script was originally written by a guy named Wayne Kramer, who did an award winning film called The Cooler with William H. Macy. And then he also did a film that we could probably probably have on second chance cinema called running scared with paul walker oh i remember do you that. remember that film I, I'd never yeah thought, it's kind of I like a it, yeah it's like a fairy tale really dark action film and then there was an uncredited rewrite by aaron kruger and aaron kruger like to me he's kind of a studio hack he is his wikipedia says he is best known for writing three of the five installments of the transformers films so we've delved into his work. He did um, Revenge of the Fallen, Dark of the Moon, and Age of Extinction. But he also did like Scream 3, Reindeer Games, 
Scream 4. He did an uncredited rewrite. And he won an award for best screenplay for The Ring, which I wonder how you win an award for adapting a a screenplay from a screenplay, (laughs) you know, because it was Ringu, like the Japanese film. Because Aaron Kruger always kind of rubs me the wrong way, I went through all of his Rotten Tomatoes. I just did a real quick averaging out of his score. And out of 19 films, he's got a score average of 34%. Wow. So where I think the heavy handedness from the script comes from, I'm going to blame Aaron Kruger for because with the running scared and the cooler, those were both very good. I think the film would have been a little bit more subtle, but in the same instance, Agatha Christie could be, you could kind of say that she is heavy hand. Like she doesn't, the film doesn't go slow. So you feel like you, you're, you can catch up. This film just kind of comes at you. Like we have so much time to get rid of several characters in fun ways. And we're just going to give you all the information in these, like probably there's about three conversations where they're all kind of hanging around a table and just giving you exposition at a record pace. Well, that's the thing, too, is they set it up like they they give the movie basically an internal timeline because all the deaths are based on these random clocks and watches that they find Mm -hmm. that are set to a couple hours ahead. It was an interesting mechanism, but I feel like I, I guess maybe it's because I watched Jurassic Park the other day and I'm thinking of chaos theory. But like that seems like a really, really exact method setting up these grisly murders where to where nothing could go outside of your plan. You know what I mean? Um, right. But at the same time, it was revealed at the end that the clocks were the killer's weakness, which was kind of an interesting an interesting twist based on the the whole weakness motif throughout. What would you consider this film? I think I think thriller suspense. Why? What would All you? Right. Do? There were certainly some parts of it that were very, I would say, horrific. You know, so I was oh, like, yeah. it's a horror film. It's definitely a mystery. I like thriller. There was another genre that's kind of escaping me now, but I was like, this is a hodgepodge of genres. And I always like when people try and paint outside the box and deliver something new like this. Well, and that was the other thing too, is like, even though it wasn't a, you know, it wasn't an ensemble cast in terms of like star power, like it was a, as it goes on, because people die, you sort of get a feeling who's going to be there at the end. But you're also wondering how the people are going to get picked off because the first death with Christian Slater was just so like ridiculous and bonkers that you're kind of wondering what what could possibly, you know, top that. And the different deaths that set up, there's um, uh, the cigarette was probably my favorite, which I still don't understand. The girl whose weakness is cigarettes, she finds a, a random pack of cigarettes in a vending machine, smokes one, and somehow that like activates this weird acid inside that first it gets on her shoe and eats through her shoe, then it gets in on her finger, then it gets in her mouth. And eventually it like, it seems like it eats away from her from the inside out and also like sets mm-hmm. her on fire or makes her smoke or something like that. So I just, the, the whole time that's going on, I'm like, man, I wonder what that was. That was some crazy, fantastical acid. But then even the other stuff that wasn't super either grotesque or imaginative came out of nowhere. Like there's a scene where there's water being thrown everywhere on the floor and then the fluorescent lights break down. So there's sparks and um, Clifton Collins Jr., the character in the wheelchair, has to leap up and and hold on for dear life to the pipes. And once that scene's all over, there's all this tension. Everybody's pointing at, you know, one another. LL Cool J's involved in it. And 
they decide they need to like first shut the water off and the guy goes to do it. Um, and this is the guy at the beginning who like, I feel like he was probably the most charismatic. He's the guy who like read the profile on the young lady at the bar and went up to get her number. And he was very just like smooth and likable. And he turns the, like the valve to shut the water off and three harpoons just come out of nowhere and shoot him through the neck, which you're just like, wow, that was, that was unexpected. Number one. I remember first seeing it, I thought he was going to be the killer. So I was like, wow, now I don't know who it is. You know, maybe it is. Well, and that was that was an ad lib of Johnny Lee Miller, too. Right. Like because Clifton Collins Jr. is guarding LL Cool J, who's handcuffed to a radiator pipe or something. And then all of a sudden, the you know, it becomes that time to kill somebody and the fluorescent lights go down and spark and the water turns on and everything's going on. And so when uh, Clifton Collins gives LL Cool J the gun to blow off the handcuffs because he is in a wheelchair and he has to jump up, which side question, because you're smarter than me, how does electricity work? So like the wheelchair has rubber tires, right? Rubber Would that tires, not be? Right. And I thought the same thing myself watching it. And I think what they tried to do, but it wasn't entirely obvious, was the water level kept rising uh, like to the point where it was eventually going to get above the tires and touch the okay. metal frame. That was sort of the only connection I could draw because I thought the same thing. Like, wait, there are four rubber tires. He's fine. But then there was so much water that gradually, I feel like it gradually kept getting higher and higher. And I think that was the the danger there. Gotcha. And would have made it like an electric wheelchair. So the uh, tells LL Cool J, you know, like we got to we got to turn off the circuit breaker. And so LL Cool J does the thing where he shoots shoots chunks out of the wall so he can and he does the thing where he has he makes an excuse in every movie to show his muscles that thing which you know good job man because that dude was you know he comes out and i was like has he hasn't been in a fast and furious movie has he is he too old now there's like 20 of them it's hard to keep track You know, does the rock climbing on a on a flat wall by using his bullet holes and he goes out and he shuts off the circuit breaker. I wonder if like in the grand scheme of the writer's mind, if Johnny Lee Miller supposed that they would think that they had to shut off the water and not the circuit breaker. And so then when they shut off the circuit breaker, that's when he tells the other guy, hey, uh-huh. go turn off the water. And then the uh-huh. guy, and then his like little trap is has been done already, too. Interesting. See, I hadn't thought about that, although I do remember at the end when he's revealed to be the killer and he's sort of doing the villain speech and he's like, here's how I did it. Um, There's a part where he flashes back to himself saying, turn off the water. And I don't remember exactly the context. Like, I don't remember if maybe he alluded to the fact that they beat his trap. And so then he did have to ad lib. But you're right. On one hand, you could watch that movie and that's a nitpick. You could be like, well, what if they just didn't turn off the water? But on the other hand, that's like you said, could be a layer of trying to get this whole murder mechanism to work. You forgot one thing, though. Before LL Cool J turns off the circuit breaker, he makes sure to uh, make time to say, lights out. Lights out. And then he shuts off the circuit breaker. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you got to pump yourself up before a big moment. And that wasn't even his best line in the movie, which we'll get to in a minute. So I really like how there are times in this that 
Well, let's just, so Patricia Velasquez, she's the one that can't quit smoking. Right. It's not like he kills her at eight o'clock or whatever time it was. Every cigarette machine on the island, I suppose, releases the acid cigarettes. So hopefully she walks by one, sees one, hasn't had a cigarette for three days, is in a horrible situation, goes, I need a cigarette. Right. It's almost setting up mousetraps for these people based on their weaknesses, which was kind of like Saw before Saw. And I really like that. That's the thing, too. Like this movie, I feel like, again, this movie, you know, before its time kind of think in a lot of different ways. Like you mentioned before, the whole forensic FBI fad that that has been going on for the past couple of years with all the true Mm -hmm. crime shows and stuff like that. But then also you were saying like Saw before Saw. And you're right. It it was like I don't remember a whole lot of movies other than this one. And I'm sure there are. But with like the intricate trap mechanism that that keeps going over and over like the intricate you know like do this and do this and they set it up right at the beginning with that whole Rube Goldberg with the dominoes for some reason dominoes give me such anxiety and I guess that's because I used to set them up as a kid all the time and I would be dumb and like back into them and knock them all over Mm -hmm. after I Mm. you know spent an hour setting them up so that that scene just for no good reason gave me some anxiety they're so buddhist you know they're so like just take like your whole entire day to set up this huge contraption and then destroy it like you're only there for a moment it's kind of like the uh the sand gardens that they make in the temples over in you know tibet and then they just blow it away as soon as it's done Christian Slater was there for more than a moment, but he did get blown <laughs> away pretty good. So let's let's jump to the end of the movie. So we've got our three survivors. The whole time, we're kind of left to wonder well, whether Val Kilmer is behind all this because they keep alluding to him and they keep saying, you know, did anyone see, I think his name was Harris. Did anyone see Harris leave the island? And there's all this like shadow games stuff going on. And then we've got our three on-screen survivors, LL Cool J, the girl Sarah, and Johnny Lee Miller. And then Val Kilmer voice comes piping in over the somehow the entire island was wired with like the same loudspeaker i guess but comes piping over and they go find him and they find out that he's been hung up on one of those hook mechanisms by the puppeteer and so then you're you're left saying no okay it's not val kilmer because he's dead (laughs) and then we've got the three who are left ll cool j sarah and johnny lee miller and from there like i and uh clifton collins oh well he he kind of doesn't he die right before val kilmer or like as val kilmer is being revealed yeah a little bit after i would say i forget if they leave him or if he tells them to like leave him alone or something but again his weakness is his gun he won't go anywhere without his gun and i thought they wrote that in really good because it, it wasn't just like he's a gun nut he says a line something like you know if you get shot you'd know what it's like not to have a gun or something like that you you know and that was just a really good like quick line to explain number one why he's in a wheelchair and number two why he's you know so married to having his gun for protection all the time and then his gun is his weakness and the killer wires it up to explode in his face and splatter him all over the elevator so so the three who were left at the end that was the kind of the time when like i had my suspicions but everything that was said or done or shown would kind of be like, oh, well, maybe it's not. Maybe it's him. Maybe it's her. Maybe it's, you know, like it would it would challenge what I had thought. 
when the killer's revealed at the end, what what did had you ever seen this movie before? I forget. No, no, I okay, haven't. So even tell, heard of it. so tell me what. Oh, that's right. So tell me what you thought of the reveal. Well, it's funny because the reveal is kind of dirty. Like the whole movie, they as soon as you suspect somebody, that person dies. You know, they'd be like, "It's that person," and then that person's head falls off, and they're like, "It's <laughs> not that person." You know, like. <laughs> Worst FBI <laughs> profilers ever. <laughs> right. Yeah. These people like that's like the setup at the beginning, right? Is that they're not going to make the agency or whatever. And it's kind of like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe Val Kilmer was right. <laughs> maybe they're not very good. So and that's where I kind of was like, if it's uh, Sarah, good for her. But the actress is so good at playing her kind of where she like phases out, uh-huh. you know, and just kind of like if it was her, the reveal would have to be that she's not phasing out. She's observing everything, you know, like that's I was like, that's the only way that I would kind of believe this. But it's not her. And then L O Cool J plays the end in such a way like i wonder if they told him he was the killer uh-huh. because he's his line delivery is just like well i'm gonna mess you up now i guess we have answers now don't we sarah who are you who are you who are you you gonna panic now sarah you're gonna panic when you've been so cool. Oh. What are you trying to prove? What am I trying to prove? How's a fucked up girl like you get into the FBI anyway? How did I get in? How did I get in? Did you not get in, Gabe? Did you try and they turn you away? Or they tell you, you're not sharp enough, smart enough? Sane enough? Panic. Watch her panic. Get your hands up. Show me your hands. I want to see your hands. Boom. You call yourself a profiler? Show me your hands. I'm the profiler. I want to see your hands. You're the victim. You know, and it's kind of like, are you the killer? Or are you just like, she's the killer and you just want to beat the crap out of her? Like, it was very well done on that front. And then when it's Johnny Lee Miller, you're kind of like, oh, that makes sense. Right. <laughs> you know, like. And it does because he was the, the way you just phrased it, he was the least um, suspicious of the three because you didn't really have, and he got seemingly killed. He got shot up in the street during this like random gunfight between those three, but then he comes back. And yeah, that to well, me- Cool J has that line like, being brave is your weakness. Oh, it's yeah. Like, oh, you're the killer. You know, like, that's right. what I'm saying. Like, the, the reveal of the killer was dirty because they truly set it up. I've never seen a film, I don't think, where the red herring is at the very end of the film. Like, you said you kind of would suspect LL Cool J because he's the, he's the odd man out. And that's why I didn't suspect LL Cool J because I was like, that's too easy. Like, I understand, I see what they're doing, but I'm not going to fall for it then. And then in the end, when he shows and he's holding the gun kind of cockeyed, so the silhouette looks pretty sweet and he's standing over Johnny Lee Miller's body. And I was like, oh, I was like, that was that was that was clever because I said I wasn't going to suspect him at the beginning because of how they set it up. And then you find out, no, no, no. (laughs) 
<laughs> right. He's actually not the killer. So it was very, this movie had twists until the very end. And which it, you have to appreciate. So it was when Johnny Lee Miller came back from the dead that I was like, okay, he's the killer because they're not going to kill him twice. And because it dawned on me today when I watched it, that his death was not spectacular enough to be an actual victim. This is awkward. You know, uh, all these things, they, uh, they work pretty good, you know? Timers, triggers, remotes. But at the end of the day, you know, building a better mousetrap is just, it's pure mechanics. It's knowing how to bait a particular mouse. That's the fun part. So there I was, sitting next to the bodies of my parents, just waiting for someone to ask me why I killed them, you know? And this detective comes up to me, right? And he says, Want some gum? No one asks. Never even occurs to them. And like after every first high, it's harder and harder to get to that place. And finally you get so good, there's no feeling at all. It's easy. Finding a worthy prey, a challenge, that's hard. On that note, that's one of my biggest notes of the film was if his death was the waiting out of oxygen with the guns. It was like one of the cool scenes of the movie is Johnny Lee Miller and Sarah are they they're pointing their guns at each other over their head as they're you know submerged underwater, mm-hmm. just daring the other person to go get a breath so the other person could shoot them to death. Right. And Johnny Lee Miller can't hold his breath anymore. which is which is sarah getting over her her weakness and her fear was drowning in water because her sister did so she gets over that fear as she's holding her breath for her life johnny lee miller goes up she shoots but he's still not you know like he even has a line like you shot me in the neck and i'm like what i've never heard somebody (laughs) deliver a line after being shot in the you know like that's usually the end game and i that would be my biggest note of the film is like they should have ended just as johnny lee miller's like no i need to go get a breath and then sarah morgan's like pow i you know she want to have a line because she's underwater but well she did have a line underwater because she definitely mouthed Mouth and, and this this to me was just I laughed at this because first of all they're shooting these these impotent bullets at each other. <laughs> that, 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 how far apart were they? Maybe like fifty feet, sixty feet, or yeah, something. Probably like, something like that. So they're shooting these bullets that are the, the velocity of which are stunted by the water to the point where they basically. They they come out like I don't know like a little kid throwing a football like they like they, <laughs> they they shoot out with this velocity and it was almost like they did a bullet time kind of thing but then they just peter out and like drop down after like thirty feet and at one like if they did that one time it would be awesome because they're like oh shit what are we gonna do now but they shoot each other like four times the same way and again it's like these are the smartest FBI agents there are <laughs> they're underwater over and over and then from sixty feet away uh, amidst the bubble and the darkness she mouths 
fuck you. <laughs> like, but you're right. He he pops up and it was it was a, a very like redeeming moment for her because her weakness was water and the fear of water and the fear of um, drowning and even to a higher degree fear of, you know, not having control. Um, but he pops up and she's got her gun above the water. She shoots him. And then fast forward, LL Cool J pulls her out of the water and delivers what might be the best line in movie history. Do you remember what it was? I guess we found out his weakness. Bullets. I guess we found out his weakness. Bullets. <laughs> I guess we found out his weakness. Bullets. <laughs> which, which, like, I don't even know how to read that. Like, I don't even know if that was meant to be just bluntly silly or if that was meant to be played seriously like that that to me is the biggest mind fuck of this movie that line like i can get over all the traps and mechanisms and the you know the motives and all that but like why that line existed as it did and what the point was and and maybe i'm reading too much into it but that to me and i remember this from watching it a long time ago just being like was that did he really say that like was that really the line that he said well, I mean, it's so funny. Like you think about like how many people are involved in the movie making process where that line had to get past like 200 to 250 people right. that all went. Yes. You know, like we kind of blame like the director or the writer or LL yeah. Cool J, but there's a lot of people looking at that and being like, yeah, make no, that, that's a, yeah. Make that the tagline. More of that. I mean, <laughs> he could have said like, oh, mama said, knock you out or something like that. I mean, right. But he said, I guess we found out his weakness bullets or he could have almost said, I guess we found out his weakness dying. <laughs> <laughs> like that that to me is what it, it sounded like it might it might as More, well have said that mortality i'm not as weak <laughs> as death like <laughs> so maybe not the best closer in a movie but overall again i think i think and this is this is why it's perfect for the show like not a perfect movie by any stretch of the imagination but entertaining as hell well the uh the director rennie harlan did you look him up and what else that he all, all i know is uh die hard 2 and the marine i think or okay or he also did uh, deep blue sea oh he did okay oh so yeah, that's so why he, i associated him with Garrett and ll cool j yep um he did probably one of my favorite nightmare in elm streets elm street 4 the dream master that's the okay. one where it you know there's a little action mixed in because she inherits her brother's kung fu skills and then like drop kicks freddie cougar in the face right he also did uh two really good action films cliffhanger oh yeah that's right yep i haven't revisited that one since the movie but i remember john lithgow just being amazeballs in that one and then maybe one of my favorite female action movies is the long kiss goodnight with gina davis and oh, samuel L. jackson that, that's like on our list from when we started this podcast and we haven't done that but i remember that movie for sure um that is a good one so yeah i mean Rennie harlan and not, you know, not a slouch. I mean, Die Hard, it was Die Hard too, right? Like that's solid yep. movie. Um, can't say the same about whatever the John Cena movie was, but we'll get past that. <laughs> and this again, like what has he done since this one? And, and this movie again, was it, oh, it was 12 rounds. That was the the stupid John Cena movie. <laughs> but what I was going to say is at the beginning, you brought up House of Wax, which mm-hmm. I forget. Oh, we were talking about it. Like, is there, are there people in those mannequins? That seems like a horror movie tagline. Are there people in those mannequins? But (laughs) so House of Wax 
had, and this is from Roger Ebert's review. He says, in House of Wax, and this is in 2004, in House of Wax, which opened last week, the movie theater is playing Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, which he refers to as sort of like a clue for the the rest of the movie. Like if you know about that movie, you know a little bit about what's going to happen in the House of Wax movie. And then he says about mm-hmm. Mindhunters, in this movie, the theater marquee advertises the third man. No, the male characters are not numbered in order, so you can't figure it out that way, nor is the killer necessarily a woman. So think real hard. What else do you know about the third man? If you have never seen the third man, I urge you to rent it immediately as a preparation or substitute for Mindhunters. So I looked up the third man, and it's basically, it's a British, 1949 British film noir the third man refers to a character who's believed dead, but then comes back at the end. And so that kind of foreshadows like what we were saying before, like he died sort of unspectacularly and was almost like a throwaway death after he'd survived this whole entire movie. And so then he dies again, just sort of like underwhelmingly. And then as the, the allusion to the third man suggests, that's sort of the clue that he's the killer, which I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Good job for Roger Ebert. Yeah, good little Easter egg in there. So mm-hmm. any other critical, or I mean, critical reviews you want to cite here? Well, you know what I was thinking as we're gearing into season two here? I was thinking I usually find a critic that didn't like the movie and then we try to argue it kind of. But if we're here to celebrate them, I think I want to add a critic that loved the film. So I have an article here written by Michael O. Sullivan from the Washington Post. And he wrote this review. I'm going to read it for a minute. A thriller that preys on the mind. So he did a little, a nice little pun yeah, in the title. Very, very clever. He should be a profiler. <laughs> So here it is. There could be something deeply satisfying on an intellectual level, if not an aesthetic one, about a locked room mystery. Sure, it's an old chestnut, but that same tried and true formula worked for Edgar Allan Poe and Agatha Christie. Why shouldn't it work for the Rennie Harlan-directed LL Cool J vehicle, Mindhunters, which sets a group of FBI criminal profiling trainees, one of whom may or may not be a murderer, on a deserted island? Reasonably good fun, especially as the increasingly creative means of dispatch are tailored made a la seven to each particular victim oh. red herrings abound among the company with enough disgruntlement repressed childhood trauma and frustrated sexual desire to make everyone a suspect there's plenty of delicious misdirection to keep a compliant audience guessing which despite some predictability is entirely the point coming out as mine hunters does with a bit of a bad odor the film is actually a lot less stale than it's set up the biggest surprise about this movie may not necessarily even be the revelation of the murder identity which actually threw me but the fact that the oldest game in the book still works wow right that's i mean that's a good one to end on for sure that's like it's it's an old trope but again the inventiveness and the 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 cleverness and the red herrings and the even the easter eggs we were just talking about make it a fun movie and i think that's why uh, i i nominated it for this episode of second chance cinema Final thought? I think it works perfectly. The The only funny thing that I have left to say is this stayed in like the the vault of Miramax or the Weinstein Company uh, with Dimension Films for two years as everybody, you know, got over some legal issues. 
And in that time, they were trying to, it was a rated R movie and they were trying to cut it so it's PG-13 and then they decided not to do that. So Rennie Harlan put in a bunch of swears again. Um, but closed captioning on Amazon Prime oh, is man. dubbed. Awesome. It was awesome. <laughs> if I would have known you were watching it on Prime the same as me, I would have written it down because I love a good dub and I love a good closed caption. Um, and yeah, they definitely, definitely went with the PG-13 version for the closed caption. <laughs> So I would suggest getting it on Amazon Prime, putting on closed captioning, and and getting the best of both worlds. It's just one more layer to this already thickly layered film. Absolutely. And I thank you for uh, recommending it. Yeah, no problem. So uh, stay tuned in our our closing bumper here to listen how you can follow us on social media, recommend movies, tell us we're idiots, argue everything we say. We love it all. And we hope you, assuming we didn't spoil it too much, which we did drop a few spoilers in that that episode. (laughs) Just a little bit. Just a few. um, Some of them in poetry form. But um, if you check out Mindhunters, let us know what you think. And this has been another episode of Second Chance Cinema. Have a good one. Peace. Mindhunters was produced by Dimension Films and distributed by Sony Pictures Releasing. Second Chance Cinema is a fan of the film and urges you to check it out. Closing credits music is from the soundtrack by the composer Thomas Cantalinen. LL Cool J's song, Deepest Bluest, is from the Deep Blue Sea soundtrack under the Warner Brothers label. Thank you for listening to this episode of Second Chance Cinema. If you have any comments, questions, corrections, or would like to recommend a movie for a future show, you can reach us at secondchancinema at gmail.com. That's 2ndchancinema at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at MCNSpro, or check us out on Instagram at 2ndchancinema. To help our little show out, please tell your friends about us, leave a review wherever you listen, and be sure to subscribe and download each episode you listen to as those simple steps makes us much more visible in the universe, which makes these fine secret cinematic masterpieces more visible. And isn't that really the whole point? Now go on. Have a wonderful day, you beautiful person, you. And if your weakness is bullets, please avoid people with guns. Good day.